Well, good morning to everyone. This morning I've entitled the message I'd like to share, What Makes a Church? So throughout um, maybe the week this week or throughout the month, you might have been asked the question, where do you go to church? Or what happened in church yesterday? Or when is your church service? What time does it start? Or how does your church practice X, Y, Z, I'll say? You know, you fill in the blank there. How does your church practice that? You know, it's a blessing in our culture that church is separated from the state and it's recognized as, as being different. For the most part, people of all races and nationalities and cultures, you know, they, they have a respect for a church, a church setting. But what is it that makes a church? So I'd like to expand that question from not only what makes a church to uh, who is the church? Whose church is it? And what is the church? Who is the church composed of? And what is the church's mission? And I'm probably, probably not going to be able to answer all those questions, but I'd like for you to think about some of those questions. And you've probably got questions that I didn't even raise there in your mind that are running through your mind right now also. But I'd like for us to start thinking about what makes a church. And I'd, to do that, I want to begin with a little exercise that everyone can be involved in. It's not going to be hard. And um, I'm going to ask one person to stand. And I think I'm going to pick on you, Jamin, since you're in the front row, so you can turn around and face the group. So if you want to stand right now, just face the rest of the congregation. And the rest of you all, Jamin's got the easy part. He doesn't have to, he just has to stand. The rest of you all, I want you to vote. Um, I've got a question for those of, you, those of you that are sitting, where you'll vote either yes or no as far as um, for this question here. Okay, so how many think that this one person, Jamin, could be classified as a church? Like, those of you that think yes, raise your hand. Those of you that think no, raise your hand. Okay, thank you. And Jamie, you can stay standing. Uh, we'll stick with this side. Um, I'm going to add, let's see, Verlin, why don't you stand up? Turn around and face the group. Okay, so we've got two people here standing facing us. How many would classify these two people as a church? Those that would say yes, raise your hand. Those that would say no, raise your hand. Okay? And I'm going to ask three more people. We'll just continue with uh, my wife Carmen, Vincent, and uh, JoLynn. Sorry. Okay, y'all turn around. Okay, so this will be the last one. How many think that this would now make a church? Raise your hand, yes. How many think no? Okay, so you all can be seated. Thank you. So what makes a church? You know, each of you, you had your reasons why you did or you didn't raise your hand. But the question still remains to be answered, what makes a church? 
So let's begin by defining the word church. If I tell you that our neighboring church, Covenant Baptist Church, um, got hit by a tornado, I think all of us would associate the building itself as to what is being referred to and not the actual group of people. For the most part, when I talk about the church this morning, I'm not talking about the actual physical church building itself, except for later on, I will be referring to the structural building as a type of what the church is. So let's not get those two confused, the building and the church, the, the group of people. The church we'll be referring to this morning is not the building itself. That church is, it's hard, it's cold, and it's unresponsive. The church we're talking about is made up of people. It's a, an assembly of believing people, ordinary people that have feelings, they have cares, longings, and a vision in life. Jesus told us in Matthew 18, 20, and I'm quoting here, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I think this verse, that verse right there, gives a bare minimum of people that could make up a church, and it's just a starting place. And I think it also brings out two critical components of the church that if left out, it remains just a gathering and nothing more. And those two things are Jesus and worship. And possibly it's for one of those two reasons, maybe that you voted no earlier, because maybe you thought you know, Jesus and worship wasn't in that, uh, people, that group of people. I'm not saying you didn't, but I'm just saying that maybe Jesus wasn't in that group of people. Without the presence of Jesus Christ and without the intent and purpose to worship Jesus himself, the gathering of people is just that. It's just an assembly. It's just, without Jesus, it's just an assembly of people. In Colossians 1.18, we read that Jesus is the head of his church. In John 14.26 and 15.26 and 16.13, Jesus tells us that after he leaves and goes to the Father, he's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And I fully believe that Jesus is here this morning because in 1 Timothy 1.14, which is one of several verses, it tells us that the Holy Spirit, which Myron just preached about last Sunday, he lives, the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us as believers. So the Holy Spirit is present here this morning, today. And then as we consider what 1 John 5, 7 tells us, that all three Godheads are one, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, it's true that Jesus is in the midst of us today. So what is our purpose of meeting? We could ask that question. And that's really a big question, and I don't feel like I can answer it in entirety. I think foremost in the discussion would have to be to worship Jesus, because he is the head, he's the foundation, and he's the groom for the church. When we as a church worship, we're fulfilling 1 Corinthians 10 chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where it says, to do all to the glory of God. And while it's certainly important to glorify God individually, 
when we do it as a body, we're collectively, with all of our God-given abilities, we're, you know, we're focusing on Jesus himself, and then Jesus is glorified. So another purpose for the church is that we would be a light to those around us, as Matthew 5.14 says. And then we're also told to make Christ and his gospel known to the world locally as well as afar, just like Jesus told us in Matthew 20, 28, 19, the Great Commission. So taking and sharing the gospel is, it's really only just the beginning of the church's mission to the lost. And as a church, we're called to instruct, we're called to encourage, to fellowship, to serve, and yes, also to discipline. As social beings, we need each other. Our gathering together as people, it not only unites us, but it, it enables us to walk out our Christian life. And I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And as I read this, I'd like for you to notice how we need each other, how you personally are needed collectively to help strengthen the body of Christ. So it's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16. <clears throat> and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. <clears throat> I'd like to make one more point yet from Matthew eighteen twenty. It says where two or three are gathered. So obviously... We plan to meet at a certain time, at an appointed place, and for a purpose. But how regularly, how regularly should a church gather together? Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 2, tells us that the disciples, they came together on the first day of the week. I think, in other words, we could say that they had a set time each week to get together. It was a regular appointed time that they gathered together. So likewise, I think our faithful, regular attendance, it keeps us connected to the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 25, and we're admonished there to, by Paul to not neglect our meeting together. I want to just turn there and just read that. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
And I think when we forego and we neglect Christian fellowship, we give up the encouragement, the motivation, and the help from other Christian things that we really need as a brother and a sister in, in church. I think we all can attest that when we gather together, we learn from each other, and it strengthens our walk in the Lord. When we come, we come away, you know, just refreshed in our faith and in our spirit when, when we get together with other believers. You know, we all get, we all get busy, and sometimes we get disillusioned, and we, you know, we face difficult times. We make excuses to miss church functions, and just the opposite should happen. Instead, the, the harder the time, the more faithful we need to be in meeting together so we can participate in, in encouraging one another and also in receiving that encouragement. I think most of us have seen the picture of Uncle Sam uh, pointing his finger, Uncle Sam referring to the government. In that picture, uh, it says, Uncle Sam needs you, and he's kind of glaring down his finger like that, like he's looking down a rifle almost. He's pointing, and, I'm, and you can take that paper and turn it any way you want to to try to get away from that pointing finger, and it just doesn't work. The thing, whichever way you look at it, that finger is still pointing at you. With that picture in mind of Uncle Sam saying, I need you, the church needs you in the same way, just if you can remember that picture. The church should be an integral part of every Christian's life, as I'll describe in just a little bit. I'm told that um, the sequoia trees in California I've never seen them myself personally, but pictures of them. But I'm told that when a storm comes, that they can be felled very easily. And uh, individually, they're, they, they, they can't stand by themselves, just, just one sequoia tree by itself. It's very rare to see one individual. But a grove of sequoia trees, they intertwine their roots together and they provide support for each surrounding tree in the grove. And then as the winds come, which they do come, the trees, they sway together, but their roots are locked together. And together they can stand and they can face the storms that, are, that come their way. And I think it's a good picture of an admonition and warning to us as people to not try to stand alone we, each, we, we need each other. We need to be entwined with each other as a body. Now, there's three things that the church is not. First, the church is not just a social place to come to. And you, know, you all know, you, you have friends. Uh, there, there are friendships built in church. But our aim is in gathering, is to put Christ foremost, and then secondary, others and second, the church is not a political platform. You know, there's a distinct line between the state and the church. And while Romans 13 does talk about how we're to be obedient to our state authorities, it's the gospel of Christ that will clean up the world. And the church can help facilitate that. 
And third, the church is not a playhouse. Its purpose is not to entertain, but it, its purpose is to share the gospel. Its purpose is to share the love of Christ and also as well as to edify one another. God's house is a, it's a place of worship. And perhaps um, we need to give more consideration and thought into how we respect and honor the building in which we gather to worship God in. Now, what is the church? First and foremost, the church is God's church. Turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew 16, verses 18. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, this is Jesus talking, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus was telling Peter this, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul emphasizes again that the church is God's church. With the added thought in that in 1 Timothy 3:15, that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. For the church to be able to help in facilitating the spread of truth, it has to be as solid as a pillar and as stable as the ground we stand on. And that stability, in part, is provided by organization. There's many scriptures we could look at as to how the church is to be organized. When the church is organized with its leaders and its members all working together, directed by the Holy Spirit, with Christ as the head, the world, it takes notice of the church. Organization in church is important, and Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 13, it brings out four reasons why it is important. It's, for, it's important for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, and also for the unity of that entire body. I think we need to be careful not to discredit organization because aside from what the Bible says, history has proved the wisdom of organization and its power in not only holding members together, but also how an organized force of people can do much towards winning souls to Christ. And church organization would be greatly simplified if each one of us would have the attitude of Luke 9.23, where it says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's three common ways that organization is used in church today. Leading in the church, for the most part, is either by popes or bishops from the, kind of from the head down, or secondly, by the use of conferences and committees where a group decides what happens, or the third way, generally, organization is done is by the government of congregations. And then I guess you could add in a fourth one also where it's a combination 
of maybe two of those or all three of them together where that whole combination is used. But generally, that's the way um, organization is used in the church today. And I think as you study the epistles and the book of Acts, you'll find traces of each of these forms of organization and how the early church made use of the different methods of leadership in their church and organizing. I'm not going to go into all those, but also in the Bible, you'll find that the church has been described figuratively in at least three different main ways. The first way is in Ephesians chapter 2 and 4, where we find the church described as a temple or as a building. And then the church is described in Colossians and in 1 Corinthians 12 as a body. And then the third way the church is described as the bride of Christ in Matthew 25 and Ephesians 5. So there's three different ways that the church is described as or that you can visualize the church. I want to look briefly at each of those. So turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 5 to 8 for the first one. First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. I'll just read that. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house unholy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner." and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. <clears throat> so when Pete, this is Peter writing. When Peter wrote this, perhaps he was thinking of what Jesus told him personally in Matthew 16, verse 18, where it said, Upon this rock I will build my church. I don't know. But... I'd like to refer back to the cornerstone, Jesus as the chief cornerstone. As the name implies, the chief cornerstone was placed in the corner of two walls where they came together. And it was off of that stone that the height of the, the building, the squareness of the building, and the distance was pulled from and it was calculated. So the proper placement of that cornerstone it determined really the outcome of the building, how level it was, how square it was, and also how long, because they pulled their measurements off of that. And a cornerstone wasn't a new thought to the Jews. It was prophesied in Psalms 118.22, and then it was also referenced by Jesus in Matthew 21, 40, 42, that, and I'm quoting here, that the stone which the builders refused is become a, the headstone of the corner. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 42, where he was quoting Psalms 118:22. So we also are stones in that building that is being built by God. And I think Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, pulls it all together really nicely. So I'd like to turn there and read that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. 
Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So together we are his house as we're carefully joined together by the Holy Spirit to be a temple for God himself. So a building is not built with one stone, but by many. Today, we don't use stones to build houses that much anymore. So visualize a brick instead of a stone, as the Bible refers to, but a, a brick or a block, possibly. And it's probably easier for some of us that have handled a trowel and have laid blocks to visualize this a little bit better. But as a wall goes up, one brick is laid on top of another brick, and another one is butted up against it. And as, that, as those bricks are laid, there's mud that oozes up into the holes of the brick. Not all of them have holes, but as, as that mud oozes up into the bricks, the, those bricks, they're, they're, they're entwined together. And so brick upon brick are laid, and as you go down the wall, you butt them up to each other. And slowly, you raise the line, and you know, the wall goes up. And it, as that lock, you know, like I said, those bricks, they're locked together. And what stands out to me in this illustration of Christ's church, as we think about Christ building a church, as the building as a church, is the word together. Together as a church, we build Christ's kingdom. And then we have the model of the church as a body, which 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 12 to 31 brings out. I'm not going to read those this morning, but it's a whole series of, of verses there, and we could probably preach a series of messages on those verses, but I'll let you read that at a later date. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, where it talks about the different gifts and as, as a body as we work together. But it's clear that in our togetherness, a little diversity and a little difference is a good thing. Each one of us is needed in the church with our different abilities. What stands out to me in this model of the body is diversity. Then in the third figure of the church, the church is being present, represented as the bride of Christ and is portrayed so by Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 verses 1 and 2 where he tells the Corinthian church, a quote here, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And you as married couples, you know that there's anticipation in marriage. And as a church, together, we as a diverse and different people, we wait and we anticipate. We make ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord for us so that we can experience what Proverbs 19 verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So the three key, way, three key takeaway words are together, diverse, 
and anticipation that I took away from these uh, three models of the church. And I'd like to leave you with one common thread that goes throughout all three of these types, and that word is submission. Each lively stone needs to submit to the builder for the building to be able to be built. Each part of the body needs to submit to each other for the body to function well. And each bride gladly submits to their loving husband so that he can lead as the head of their marriage. Submission is for all of us. Jesus himself set the example, but none, I don't think, was as emphatic as when he prayed in Matthew 26, 39. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So I'd like to close with a song there's a paper, I think I, there's about two per bench. If you want to get that song out of the bench, Build Your Church, Lord. I don't have the title on there. We haven't sung it here for a while. I think there's enough of you that know it that will be able to sing it, and you'll be able to catch on quickly. So let's go ahead and sing that. For I'm building a people of power. And I'm building a people of praise Who will move through this land by my spirit And will glorify my precious name Build your church, Lord Make us one, Lord Join our hearts, Lord Son, make us strong, Lord, in your body, in the kingdom of your Son. I have poured out on all men my spirit, I have offered my only dear Son, all the Resources of heaven are for use by chosen ones. Build your church, Lord, make us one, Lord. Join our hearts, Lord, through your Son. Make us strong, Lord, in your kingdom of your son.